praise God from whom blessings Let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we, um, we see this as sacred space. Uh, for some of us, this is, this is new space for us. That's not a space we're accustomed to. We're, we're, in some respects, dipping our toes into the sacred space. But that's what this space is. Especially as we lean into a topic and a conversation that we're going to have today. I'm asking for the grace and wisdom to know how to steward this space in a way that honors you and the emotions, feelings, and experiences of each person in this room. Your spirit is faithful to be sufficient in the midst of our need. And so, Lord, we long to just settle in and be present with you as you are with us. That in the midst of all that we do this morning, you'll make up what I'm lacking, my inabilities, inadequacies, and deficiencies, so that, Lord, you are present, you are made known and we can celebrate you. So, Lord, lead us well. We'll be sure to give you glory in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, as well as the beginning is now and will be forever. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. We've already thought about, processed, prayed for the global heartache that so many are enduring right now. There's something about the images, the pictures that we see the news stories that leaves us feeling a bit raw, right? Emotionally vulnerable. Sometimes we, we can bracket that out a little bit because it feels distant from us, away from us. We have the privilege of sort of escaping that reality from time to time. But we also have to realize that heartache, suffering, struggle, pain comes near to us as well. This has been a year in which many of us have felt that at some levels disappointments, discouragements, things that have not worked out the way in which we anticipated that they would, and it's left us raw. There's something about brokenheartedness that leaves us longing to express our most authentic self. That safe space where we can just be us where we don't have to manage the image that we have to portray in so many circles of our lives, where we can just be raw. Have you ever had that person in your life that provides you that space? God blesses us, I think, on occasion with, with those people in our lives that provide for us that empathetic space, that, that raw space, that space where, where they're not asking us to pretend or project an image that is not true to ourselves. They don't minimize or diminish our feelings and our hurts and our pains. They're just a non-anxious presence in the midst of our struggle and pain. 
Anybody have those people in mind? There's this great story in the Chicago Tribune not too long ago about Miss Betty. Miss Betty works at the Chicago Children's Memorial Hospital. And uh, the story goes on to tell about how she provides that presence for families that are consistently struggling with wondering what's going to happen with her kids. She works in the cafeteria at night. And when you walk in there, it says that basically she provides this environment and atmosphere as if you were walking into her bungalow on the south side. As a way of saying, be you. Feel your pain. I'm not going to diminish or minimize that. For me, that was Miss Janet. Miss Janet um, was a lady that I pastored several years back. Three weeks after moving into my first lead pastoral role, my mother-in-law passed away unexpectedly at 52 years old. She was living with us. Miss Janet put her potato soup on our stovetop, which met us when we would be back and forth from the hospital in the evenings. Miss Janet didn't ask for her new pastor to pretend to be anything that he wasn't, but to just feel the loss and the hurt and the pain. Miss Janet was the kind of person, the non-anxious presence that we long for, that empathy, that safety, that I could call her. I would say, I would call her in the morning at 10 o'clock in the morning, and I, it would be a particularly difficult day in which we were dealing with the struggles and pains of so many. And I would call her and I'd say, Miss Janet, I need to come and have lunch on your I need to come have lunch at your house and lay on your couch. And Miss Janet would be like, okay. And she and Mr. Ed would whip up a meal, and I would show up at noon, and she wouldn't ask me to explain myself. She would just let me be. We need those spaces and places, don't we? To process the journey, to, to really deal with life when it comes at us, to go through the pain and the brokenheartedness that we deal with. It reminds me of a of a story that many of us read when we were kids. Do you, do, you, do you remember the story, I'm going on a bear hunt? Does anybody remember that story that, that I'm going on a bear hunt? It, it has this, it's about a family who goes on this bear hunt and, and they continue to bump up against obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. And, and it's like, there's, it's deep and it's a cold river and it's thick and it's oozy mud and it's a dark forest. But there's this constant refrain that comes up over and over again. You, you can't go over it. You can't go under it. You got to do what? You got to go through it. See, that's the challenge of pain and suffering and struggle that you and I find ourselves navigating is that there's this tendency, a desire, a longing to want to go around it, to go over it, to go under it. But, but what if we need to take the journey of going through it? What if in all of our avoidance of attempting to bypass the struggles, the challenges, the difficulty, and the pain, that the freedom, hope, and wholeness that we find is actually as we press through it? So, so that's what we want to talk about today. Some means by which you and I can be open and honest enough with ourselves and one another where we can not go over it, not go under it, but go through it. See, we're in the third week of our series called When You're Examining the Psalms, exploring how these ancient poems, these ancient songs can find their, their place in our present reality. These, it's, a, it's a collection of songs and, and hymns and poems in the Old Testament 
that for me provide us a glimpse into the most heart-wrenching, visceral, deep, and experiential realms of human experience. Like, they give voice to things that you and I would probably be a little nervous to say. I had a friend one time, I was sitting, I was standing on my deck outside of my house and a friend had called me. He was in the midst of a really desperate time in his life. And he says, Pastor, I don't even know how to pray anymore. I said, you don't have to. He said, what do you mean? I said, it's already been done for you. And I gave him eight psalms. And I said, these will say everything that you want to say that you will feel like you shouldn't be able to say. That's what the psalms provide us. The Psalms provide us a peek into the human experience and how we process the heart of human emotion. Now, we might know this, we might not know this, um, that over about half the Psalms are attributed to King David. Now, if you read the Psalms in most of our modern-day translations, you'll actually see headings as a Psalm of David. Now, those headings were added way later than the original manuscripts. There's a lot of There's a lot of controversy amongst biblical scholars. How many of these did David actually write or not write or someone in his court wrote? Here's the point. Many of them would attest that that most of them are reflections upon David's life, whether he wrote them or not, which becomes really helpful because then these, these verbalizations of human emotion are located within human story. Like, they're not just abstract. They're, like, rooted in our experience of the world. And David's story is made known to us in profound ways in the Scriptures. David has one of those stories in the Scriptures that doesn't leave the bat out. There's no Instagram story of David. No filtered picture of who he really was. David's story is this picture of ups and downs and hills and valleys and like us, sometimes really good choices and sometimes really poor choices. And all of it's right there, cataloged in the best-selling book ever, made known for all of us to see. But it's in that that we find encouragement. Because when we begin to journey down David's life, we begin to see that part of the going through our pain and our discomfort and our grief is the honesty of coming to terms and naming it. And naming what that means for our relationship with God. Now, before we can talk a little bit about how he practices that, we need to understand a little bit about David's life. We need to understand some of these hills and valleys that he experienced. David was no stranger to the kind of pain, sorrow, discouragement, disappointment, discomfort, and suffering that many of us have endured throughout our lives. I want to share with you just a few of those stories real quickly here. In in Samuel, we we find ourselves in a story in which um, Saul, David's father-in-law, becomes so obsessed with his military prowess that he spends the better part of the rest of his adult life, Saul's adult life, trying to track him down and kill him. Right? That's that's Some of y'all think you have bad in-law problems. That's a really bad in-law problem. David had, had been chosen as king, which would be deferred for decades, but in the process between being declared as king and becoming king, he spends most of his time running from his father-in-law. His wife at one point, Mikhail, Saul's daughter, 
would get him out until they have a falling out. So he knows, he knows the pain of relational strife too. Then there's the story of David's best friend dying. His name was Jonathan, Saul's son, in fact. It was more than a best friend. It was a covenantal brotherhood. Like they had bound themselves together, and in the midst of battle, Jonathan dies. David knew the grief of loss in ways that touches so many lives. His infant son dies. After he had prayed and fasted and sought God, still there's loss. David's adult son, Absalom, will mount a rebellion against his father, push him out of the kingdom, and leave him running. Betrayal, denial, depression, discouragement, disappointment, agony, suffering, struggle, words that we're accustomed to hearing. Now, yes, has your life looked like all of that? No, but I guarantee the kind of suffering and struggle that we're talking about has touched you in some way. And David's story invites us into that. David's story leaves us I think reckoning with what do you do when the world comes unraveled around you and you're not sure who you can trust and you're not sure where you can go and you're not sure where that safe, empathetic space for you to be the authentic you that you are giving voice to and expression to the heartache and hurt that you have felt. David could have used a Miss Betty. David could have used a Miss Janet. But David actually points us to another place where we need to find safety when we're hurting and struggling. And that's, we need to find that safety with God. David invites us into this this journey through the Psalms in which, which he demonstrates that God's shoulders are big enough to handle our deepest doubts and our most painful voices. In fact, when you read the Psalms, you see it over and over again. Can I, can I share with you just a few of those Psalms, just a few of those verses? I, I want to share with you these Psalms of lament, these Psalms of this heart cry, heart-wrenching, emotional vulnerability that goes to the visceral nature of who we are. Listen to Psalm 130. Out of the depths, out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. Hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry. Psalm 6, listen to this. We could pause right here in this first line. I could preach just on this line. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your un failing love. Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? I am worn out. I am worn out. Anybody been worn out from your groaning? All night long, I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. This is, this is David. And fellas, if there was ever a man's man, it was David. And this is his voice. This is the raw vulnerability that few of us feel the privilege of ever being able to to note in public or even in private. 
What about Psalm 10? Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Ooh, can he say that? No, seriously, like, some of us would not say that. We would feel it, and then we would be like, God, I know you're near. And David just goes for it, man. He just like, seriously, where are you? I mean, do I have to go searching for you? There's a rawness, a vulnerability to that. What about Psalm 42? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? There's a word I love to say when it comes to these kinds of prayers. Because they're not polite, are they? They're not even appropriate most of the time. I call it holy irreverence. Does that make sense? Those, those two shouldn't go hand in hand, right? There is something about a holy irreverence. It's when we allow the truthfulness of our life's experience to expose us to God. And to say, God, you're big enough to handle what I can what I can lay out here right now. Why are we so afraid <laughs> that God is going to smite us when we're honest, as if he can't already know what we truly feel? What if we believe that, that God's love is so bold and brilliant and beautiful and big that even in those moments when I shake my hands in the heavens, God doesn't run off and go, well, you should have known better. In fact, there's something that I think we need to understand about lament. Lament is revelatory in two ways. It not only reveals us to God, it actually reveals the character of God to us. My dad tells the story how after losing my, my sister, that he walked out into the parking lot and he shook his fists and he said everything inappropriate that you could ever say to God in that parking lot. And he said, God became real when I realized he went nowhere. He didn't abandon me. He didn't leave me behind. He didn't forsake me. He was there with me. It's revelatory of the, the character of God which I think is beautiful because in the Psalms, there's, there's Psalm 22, which is perhaps one of the most heart-wrenching of all of the lament psalms. It's the psalm that Jesus quotes from the cross. Many of us don't realize, and we're going to come back to this at the end, but most of people don't realize that when Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's not just making a statement. He's actually quoting a psalm that he would have learned and memorized as a child. It, it's kind of like when you... If you grew up in church and you sing the first verse of a hymn, you know everything that comes after it. That's what he's doing. When, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you can just sort of feel, everybody listening to him would have filled in the rest of that psalm. But right after that psalm comes Psalm 23. That's, that's the one we know, right? Psalm 23 is the one that many of us heard in funerals. But I love how those two are juxtaposed because you have this one that is heart-wrenchingly honest to this moment in which the psalmist then turns and says, and here's the character of God in the midst of that 
struggle, and suffering. Listen to how God is described in this. Now, you're going to have heard it, but I want to, I want to hear it again. The Lord is my. I wish that was in capital. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest of valleys, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In those few verses, the character of God is revealed by David as shepherd. And shepherds, I think we have to understand, shepherds really provide us three kinds of elements to this image that I think are meaningful in light of our brokenheartedness and our hurt and our pain. First off is presence. You don't shepherd from a distance, you shepherd from close up. Ancient shepherds lived among their flocks. They lived with them. In fact, it was so much so, and I love this image, they were so intimately connected to their, to their sheep that if, if multiple groups came together and the shepherd spoke, the, the sheep would know the shepherd's voice and they would be able to pull out from all the rest of the sheep and follow them away. That was how intimate and close and present the shepherd was. The, the shepherd also provides there is this sense that the shepherd knows what is sufficient for the needs of the sheep. Can, can we just say that, that? That as you navigate the brokenness of life, that the shepherd is well attuned to what you need. And he's sufficient to provide that. And then he also protects, which I love. I love that image of protection. And I love how John Goldingate, he puts it, and we need to hear this, about how we understand shepherd. In this title of shepherd, we see the most comprehensive and intimate metaphor yet encountered in the Psalms. Rather than the typical and more distant king or deliverer or the impersonal rock, shield, etc., the shepherd lives with his flock and is everything to it, guide, physician, and protector. The character of God is being revealed to us in our in our brokenheartedness. And then as the psalm continues, a shift in metaphor, it goes from shepherd to host. And I love this. Let's, let's, read, let's read this. Even though I walk through the darkest of valleys, I'll fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Host is present. The host provides. You prepare a table for me, and the host protects. That rod and staff is pretty capable of keeping you in the midst of Life's tumult. We, we need to come to terms with the Psalms of lament. Because lament is honest. And can we just say this? I, 
We're not good at that. Not in our culture. We're not good at being honest. We give a filtered portrayal of ourselves constantly, even before God. There's this pressure in our culture to have it all together. To avoid a sense of vulnerability or fragility. To project, man, I'm good. I'm fine. It's like one of our favorite phrases. Your world could become unraveling. Someone goes, how you do? I'm fine. Really? Because we're not sure that we can give voice to this, but there's something that we have to understand about lament. Lament is honesty, and I love how Sun Cha Ra places it. He says, these, he says this word, lament is honesty before God and each other. Something has truly been declared dead. There's no use of sugarcoating that reality. To hide from suffering and death would be an act of denial. You can't go over it. You can't go under it. You got to go through it. The psalm of lament is an invitation for us to go through it. And in going through it, God begins to enlarge our heart to the world around us and helps us. I think lament is the recognition that the world is not as it should be. Right? It reminds us that the world is deeply flawed and broken. Now, here's something really cool. Is that in the midst of that flawed brokenness, God invites us to participate with him in providing that safe space and empathetic space for others, just like Miss Betty, just like Miss Janet, just like the person you're thinking of right now. We can do that for each other. But, but more so than that just is there's recognition that, that in the presence of God, in the sufficiency of his grace, even in the midst of this world gone awry, that God is capable and able of keeping us in the midst of our suffering, struggle, and pain. I want to I take a few moments here. There's a song that, as we're working through this personally, and we're going to come back here in a moment, we're going we're to pray together here in a second. But as we, as we kind of come to terms a little bit with kind of how honest am I with my own heartache and heartbreak, just providing a little bit of time to reflect. Because we've been through some stuff. And maybe we can be honest about that stuff, even if it's just internally right now with God. As we reflect, I want you to listen to this song. There's this profound tension that is revealed to us in our struggle, in our suffering and pain, in our disappointment and discouragement. It's that tension that recognizes the vulnerability and fragility of life and laments that deeply. But it's also a tension for those of us that follow Jesus have us leaning in and say, and yet you satisfy me, God. The tension between where are you and I know you are my shepherd. And somewhere lament puts a smack dab in, in that tension. And it's not easily remedied, it's not easily dealt with, but it's there that we find grace and prayer and hope and resilience to keep going forward. So I thought today what we would do is we would practice this by praying together. But we don't have to come up with the words. 
they're already here. So today, as an act of going through it, let's pray that familiar psalm, that Psalm 23, together. And as we pray, I'm, I may insert a, a few prayerful thoughts in the midst of it, but I want to invite us together. Let's, let's pray together this first section. If we can just read this and vocalize it out loud together. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Lord, you are so faithful to tend to us in the midst of our needs when we learn to trust the sufficiency of your grace. Let's continue. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. God, I love that, that moment where it says, for you are with, there's no place I can travel that you haven't already gone, no depths that I can plummet to that you haven't already gone down to. So Lord, I trust in that. I trust in your presence no matter what I feel, no matter what I experience, no matter where I am currently in this moment. Let's continue together. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Lord, would you follow me? Would you trail me wherever I go? Would your love be tenacious in chasing after me, even when suffering, struggle, discouragement, disappointment, death, grief, sorrow would threaten to drive me away, would you chase me down? Reminding me that you are with me and that you're never closer to me than in the midst of the brokenness of my heart. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Amen. Can I just say to you today, I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know what you're going through. But I can assure you with everything that is in me, he is close to the brokenhearted. That's scriptural. Psalm 34 says this. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Or as Eugene Peterson writes in the message, if your heart is broken, oh, this is so good. You'll find God there. If you're kicked in the gut, he'll, kept you, he'll help, help you catch your breath. Nowhere that you can go, he hasn't already gone. No hurt that you've experienced, he's not already there with you. It's okay to be as honest and forthright with your struggle and suffering because he's already there with you in it. That's my prayer and my heartbeat today. For you and for myself, 
that I would own that, that I would take off the Instagram faith of filters and everything's okay and just be honest. Thank you.